Theron spends all year asking tough questions of the country's top CEOs. Then, once a year, informed by those interviews and company performance, we choose the 30 CEOs we deem to be the best of the bunch. It's a big task and not one we take lightly. I'm Alex Ewell. Welcome to The Readback. Today, I'm speaking with Barron's associate editor, Jack Howe, one of our favorite guests and the author of this year's top CEO feature. Hey, Jack. I'm blushing already. It's good to have you. Good to be here. Let's just start with the basics. How much does a CEO matter for a public company? A great deal. Companies have leaders, and we're looking for people who made key decisions. I want to make sure this company is not around for the next five years, but the next 50 and beyond. Who took a stand. I know that we don't exactly have the the strongest reputation on privacy right now, to put it lightly. But I'm committed to doing this well. Who did important things. Our decision to buy Pixar, Marvel, and Lucasfilm was made because we believed that great storytelling would stand the test of time. And things that have worked out for the better for the companies they run. Give me a textbook case of a great CEO. Well, I guess Bob Iger at Disney comes to mind. He's a former television executive, and Disney for a long time has had its earnings dominated by TV. And we're at a moment where television has to come up with an answer for streaming because people are moving to services like Netflix. And so Disney has that answer. It's coming later this fall in the form of Disney+. Plus. But what's ironic about Bob Iger's tenure there is even though he's a TV guy, he has created the mother of all booms in film and parks. And he did that by buying these important properties, Pixar, Marvel, Lucasfilm with Star Wars. And at the time, people looked at those and said, well, it looks like he's paying full price. It didn't look that exciting. What we've seen now is he's taken the intellectual property from the films and he's spread it throughout the parks, cruise ships, things like that. So he's created multiple ways to make money from these properties. Now, there's a streaming service coming out from Disney, Disney Plus, this fall. What's really important here is that the move to streaming has been de-risked because Disney's making so much money in other places right now. Film and parks combined are out-earning television for the first time in many years. I think it makes it a safer company as Disney makes this push into streaming. I guess you would give Iger a lot of credit for those decisions. This is a guy I'm pretty sure has been trying to retire for about five years. Yeah. You know, every year we talk about, well, this is the, the year he's supposed to retire. He, the, the latest was Disney acquired assets from Fox, some TV and film assets. And my sense from, from conversations with Bob Iger is that they really wanted him around. So both companies, Disney and Fox, wanted to make sure that he was going to stay around for a while to oversee this transition and the few years after it. Supposedly, his next coming retirement date is set in stone. You know, we'll, we'll see. And some of the top CEOs on our list don't quite seem as obvious, maybe not the textbook case. I mean, one of the ones that comes to mind is Mary Barra at GM. Why is she on the list? Well, the stock hasn't done anything great lately, but that's because people are thinking about the old car-making business in the U.S. But GM is really a transformed company financially, more profitable than I can recall for decades. When you look at the break-even point, how many cars they'd have to make to break even, you're talking about 10 to 11 million vehicles uh, in North America versus about 17 million where we're at now. In other words, GM could go through a tremendous recession and still be profitable through it. That's very different from the GM we've seen in the past. The company has 
made important moves. They've cut back on sedans. They've gotten out of Europe. They've gone all in on trucks, which is where all the demand is right now. So that's working out well now. But they're also out in front in terms of a push for autonomous driving. They have a, a division there that they bought called Cruise Automation, which was recently valued in a financing round at $19 billion. It's about a third of the stock market value of GM. Something that Bear acquired? Something that she acquired and has really turned into, I think, an exciting business. I think a, an important competitor as we go into this, this future of autonomous driving. I would say this is someone, have you heard the phrase glass cliff? Maybe I'm the only one who thinks this way about GM, but let me put this out there. This phrase glass cliff, we, we, we know about the glass ceiling. It's a phrase that talks about you know women's difficulty rising in the corporate ladder. Glass cliff means they tend to put women in charge of companies when those companies are having dire problems. And they, you know, there's this thinking, well, there's nothing left to lose. We'll put a female in charge and that'll get us some sympathy anyhow. And then sometimes these businesses are difficult to turn around. I don't know if that was the thinking there at GM. All I can tell you is Mary Barra took over at GM at a dire moment in the company's history. This is someone who, if she had totally failed in what she's trying to do, we would have looked at it and we would have said, well, there was nothing to be done anyhow. I think she surprised everyone in the success she's had there so far. I think often making tough choices, too, is what defines a great CEO. Barra's had a lot of tough choices to make in the last few years, right? Yeah, and they've caught a lot of flack for layoffs and things like that. Look, some of it has to do with what we're buying here in the U.S. If we're upset that they're closing down sedan lines, why aren't we buying more sedans? You can't sell a sedan to save your life these days in the U.S. Everybody wants SUVs and pickup trucks. That's what's selling, and that's how GM is responding. They're trying to move those workers to other plants. And we've had a bit of a downturn demand here recently. GM laid workers off last year, and we were saying, well, why are they doing that when things are so good? And now we see, oh, yeah. They must have seen a soft patch coming for demand. When I hear politicians talk about why is GM doing this or doing that, you know, I, I want to pull my hair out because I say, I, I think to myself, well, the U.S. is going to run a trillion-dollar deficit this year. Like, not for nothing. Let's let Mary Barra make the capital allocation decisions at GM. We should only we can only be so lucky if she was making them for the broader U.S. All right. But what about Mark Zuckerberg? I mean, he made the list. Is he the best CEO or the most controversial CEO? You know, funny you should ask. I've heard from some people that are confused about this choice. We had a, let's call it a lively discussion behind the scenes here at Barron's. I think when you look at Facebook, as a starting point, you've got over 20% revenue growth and you've got growth in users. So we have this discussion going on everywhere about how much we all hate Facebook because they allow bad people to do bad things on their platform. And we're concerned about how they're handling our privacy and we think they're growing too big. But at the same time, we continue to go to Facebook with our attention and advertisers continue to go there with their business. Now, these are important questions and Facebook has to respond. That's very important. When you look this year, profits, although revenues are growing quite nicely, Profits are not expected to grow because Facebook is spending money to try to address some of these concerns. I don't want to catch Facebook in a moment when the public outcry has grown the loudest, when, when the boos are at their loudest, and pull Zuckerberg off the list before we see how he responds and, and what he's able to do. So I think he deserves to be on there. I mean, we've never seen companies this large grow this fast, quite frankly. 
and that's worth something. Our CEO list is not a popularity contest. So for now, we're watching carefully, but I think it's a good thing to have him still on the list this year. And I would just say, I mean, we do try to learn from our own mistakes, right? Because I do recall a time several years back where we took Jeff Bezos at Amazon off the list because of some hiccups they had had. He's back on it, of course, but that doesn't look like a particularly good decision on our part. It doesn't. And uh, yeah, we want to avoid something like that happening. I'll just point out on the subject of Zuckerberg, let's keep in mind that Facebook has no natural friends right now politically, right? The political right doesn't like Facebook because they think that big dot-com companies in general are suppressing conservative thought. The political left doesn't like Facebook because they think that some of these dot-com platforms were used to help sway votes during the last presidential election. So everybody's upset. But I'm not sure that our heated partisan political moment should be the deciding factor in who stays or goes on our CEO list. Very important to me to look at CEO decision-making, look at the financials. I want to see what the chiefs are doing, not just what the crowd is saying about them. So you say that this isn't a popularity contest, but doesn't popularity matter when it comes to a stock? I should say the full version of that is it's not a popularity contest, except to the extent that a chief's popularity affects a company's ability to do business or its returns for investors. So as an example, a company that doesn't appear on our list yet, which is Tesla and Elon Musk, he's a visionary founder. That's, you know, he's really done something incredible in cars. It's just, I don't really know how that story works out from here. I think that that's a company that is at a point where there's a binary outcome from here. One outcome is that customers just don't feel confident enough about what that brand is going to mean five years from now. They look at the company and they say, well, you know, those bonds that they issued, they were yielding 5.3%. Now the yields are up over 8%. The finances are looking shaky. And do I want to make an investment of my money in this car, not knowing if the company is going to fall on hard times and the brand will mean something different, you know, a few years from now. So we're waiting and seeing. And I think that as great of a chief as Elon Musk is, when people see him take to Twitter and, and have these kind of antics where he's sort of being, you know, flirty with the SEC about saying things ahead of the company's results, I'm really not sure that that's the thing he ought to be doing right now when this company lives or dies on demand for its vehicles. All right. A lot of what we write about in Barron's is for investors. How much do you think this list is actually a guide for what to buy then? I wouldn't call it a guide for what to buy. Uh, Maybe a guide for what not to buy when you're thinking about CEOs in general. Someone asked me the question at a a dinner recently, like, how would you characterize a Barron story? And I think for us, it really comes down to price. We're talking to investors. It's one thing to tell a business story, but we want to tell a business story in the context of a company's share price or the opportunity for investors. So that's really of utmost importance to us. You have to have a good CEO. That's a minimum requirement, but it's not everything. Just because you have a good CEO doesn't mean you have a good company at the right time at the right price. All right. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. To see the full list of Barron's top CEOs, check out this week's magazine or, as always, barrons.com. I'm Alex Yule. The show is produced by Meta Lutzhoff. The Read Back will return next Wednesday. <laughs>